0: Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. Hebreus 4, 1-5 So the Bible says, Visto que nós foi deixada a promessa de entrarmos no descanso de Deus, que nenhum de vocês pense falhou, pois as boas novas foram pregadas também a nós, tanto quanto a eles... Mas a mensagem que eles ouviram de nada lhes valeu. Pois não foi acompanhada de fé por aqueles que ouviram. 3. Pois nós, os que cremos e que entramos naquele descanso, conforme Deus disse, assim jurei na minha ira, jamais entrarão no meu descanso, embora suas obras estivessem concluídas desde a criação do mundo. 4. Pois em lugar certo ele falou sobre o sétimo dia nessas palavras: No sétimo dia Deus descansou de toda obra que realizará. E de novo na passagem citada há pouco, jamais entrarão no meu descanso. Essa foi a palavra de Deus. This is the word of God.
1: let's pray Lord, we come before you this morning. We call on you Jehovah-Nessai. The banner, you are our banner of victory in this battlefield of life. The spirit that you've given us and the faith that you've given us, Father, has tangible benefits, Father. I pray today that the people here myself included, Lord, would feel you quiet the noise. Calm our nerves, Lord. Give us the ears this morning to hear, Father. I pray that as your word is proclaimed through a really faulty man, I pray that the people of God here would be moved to draw near to you, Father, and you would continue to move in in this church and in this body of believers. Lord, make so much of you this morning. I want to fade into the background and just be your vessel in the proclamation of your good word. I love you so much, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. And you can be seated. All right. So we are obviously walking through the book of Hebrews. Uh, We've been here for uh, a good chunk of weeks. I don't know the exact number of weeks. And we've we've seen Hebrews to be this beautiful covenantal bridge for the Christians addressed in this letter, the Jewish Christians, and obviously to us here in 2023. It's been this beautiful picture of how we can now relate with Jesus not on our merit, but on the working of Christ on our behalf. So about a year ago, I was leaving my house, it was early in the morning. I had an early meeting and I had to get going. It was winter, it was pretty cold, uh, below freezing, and as I was driving out of my house, out of my neighborhood, I noticed that there was this, there's this beautiful house that had just been rebuilt, incredible looking, really early in the morning, really cold, there's this couple outside on the stairs, just sitting there, talking, maybe looking a little bit frustrated, maybe just looking like a little panicky, It was just really weird. And as I passed them, you know, you look at that and you're like, I don't know what's going on there. But I continue in my day. And the day goes by, and in New England, we get some pretty nasty weather in the winter. And it starts to, as the evening comes, it starts to sleet and snow and rain. It's just nasty, nasty weather. So as I'm making my way back home, my eyes are kind of always drawn to this home because it's this, it used to be this just absolute mess and it's just become this beautiful creation. They've completely remodeled. And I look and the couple that was there at 5 30 in the morning, they're still there. But the weird thing is, they're standing outside the house and they're looking in the windows and they're looking like in the door. And it's, the weather is so bad. And the house is, like, this picture of, like, warmth. It's, the lights are on. You can tell the heat's on because there's vapor coming from the side of the house. And I'm like, this is really weird. And in, I'm from the Midwest, so in that neighborly fashion, I go park my car and I put on some really, a really warm, big, poofy coat and my boots and I walk over there. And I'm like, hey, guys, uh, you know, my name is Tony Clementi. I'm your neighbor. I was just checking in, like, is do you guys own this place? It's, it's beautiful. It's really cool what you did. She says, yeah, yeah, we're the owners of the property and um, actually my father gave me the house. He, he put furniture in it. He's, he's told us all about it. It's got beautiful woodwork. It's got a jacuzzi tub. It's got this fireplace and the furniture that he placed around it is the most cozy furniture you could ever imagine. That's what we've been told, right? And I'm like, okay, that sounds great. And then she proceeds to show me the title of the property. Like, I didn't believe her. She's like, here is the house. See my name? This is me. And she takes out her ID and she shows me. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's great. I'm, I'm really glad it's your house. Um, and I'm thinking in my head, well, if it's your house, and it's like so nasty out here, why are you not t- partaking in the benefits of this house? And so she goes on and she says, yeah, my dad paid for everything. And today... He even came by and gave us the key. And I'm like, okay. So we talk a little further and she says, the problem is, is all day I've been calling the insurance company and I keep trying, I'm trying to pay for something. I want to pay for at least something. I called the garbage company for the disposal pickup. He paid for that. I paid the insurance company. He paid for that. There's nothing he's letting us pay for. And I'm really frustrated about it. And I said, well, your dad paid for the house and he paid for all this stuff. Just go enjoy it. And they said, we can't. We can't. We need to find something to show that we deserve this house. And I made that story up. <laughs> <laughs> but this is exactly what the author in Hebrews is imploring these new Jewish, Christi- these Jewish Christians to do. He's saying the old covenant is gone, the sacrificial system and the law is done with. Jesus has come and fulfilled everything it required, and you need to rest in it. And a lot of these people are just not able to do that. They don't want to go inside that house, enjoy the warmth, the coziness, the comfort, the protection, the shelter. They'd rather do it on the, they'd rather do it on their own. So as we get into this text, um, we see over the past, basically since verse 3-7, Hebrews 3-7 to Hebrews four thirteen, the author is just pounding home the reality that the wilderness generation failed. And last week, Kevin helped us understand in verses 16 through 19 that unbelief or a lack of faith results in unrest. And so I would like to get into this text with you. As we get into this text, I'm going to read it, and you're going to constantly see the same refute. They will not enter my rest. They will not enter my rest. They will not enter my rest. The preacher here is going to tell them that there's a consequence for not believing, and you need to hear it. And here we sit in 2023. And we need to constantly be told the same thing over and over and over and my heart this morning is not to separate us from the tension of this message but to walk inside of it and say where am I at there think about my own life in my house I've been married to my wife for almost 19 years and we have a coffee maker a coffee espresso machine in our house and I'm not kidding you guys every time I make an Americano she says throw out the grounds and I love my wife very much, but there's something in my head, I can't do it. I don't think it's possible. But she just keeps reminding me and reminding me and reminding me because she loves me. She doesn't want to, and she doesn't want to throw the grounds away. Um, so I think that the author here is just imploring these people, listen, this is what's going on. There's a lot here at risk. So let's begin into the passage. And I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we'll go through different parts of it as we, as we move through the message. 4 Verse 1 says, Therefore, we must fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us just as they did, but the word they heard did not benefit them because they were not united with those who listened with faith. For we who have believed enter that rest just as he said. The words of God, as I swore in my anger, they certainly shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in that passage, they certainly shall not enter my rest. I think you're seeing the theme here, right? So let's start in verse one, and it says, Therefore, And as Pastor Kevin's reminded us, anytime we see a therefore, a conclusion is being drawn from a prior text. So let's go back, and I just want to go back. We could read all of 16 through 19, but 19 sums it up pretty good. It says in verse 19 of chapter 3, and so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Who are they? The wilderness generation of the Israelites. What was the rest that they were not able to enter? The Promised Land. Very practically speaking, is so the Israelites were not able to enter the first generation. The wilderness. Israelites were not able to enter the Promised Land because they didn't believe. And as we move forward into verse two, so you see. Therefore, and as we move into verse two, you see four. And when we see four, it means a reasoning is being drawn. It is the opposite of therefore. So he says, For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they did also. But the word they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united with those who listen with faith. So to, to sum this up, the author saying this. He's saying, the wilderness generation, and you think the people in this context are, oh, the wilderness generation. Eh, that's not us. Jesus has come, and that's just a long time ago. The wilderness generation missed entering the promised land because they didn't believe. And then he brings this inclusive tie. He says, because you have received the same message as them, your end can be exactly the same. So instantly, um, and I think when we hear the good news, I think it's easy for us to say, well, the Old Testament, what do you mean gospel? You hear the same good news. Well, Pastor Matt, about eight or nine weeks ago, took us through the Old Testament and showed us so many proof texts of the gospel and Jesus in the Old Testament. So the, 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 the audience is being brought into a, a, a comparison saying, don't think you can separate yourself from them and don't think you can miss the promised land, because they heard the same message, you heard the same message, and they had a unfaithful result. The connection to me is is just is, is just something that we we absolutely cannot miss. And what he's saying is to everybody is fear not having faith. If you know God, but you don't trust in him, with mind, body, and soul, you will never enter his rest. One thing in this passage that I felt was so powerful and so real is that The author of this book is really, this is really a sermon. He's preaching this message passionately. And I've been, I I grew up in the Independent independent Fundamental Baptist Church. And every time you left church, you you didn't think you were a Christian. Because every time the pastor got up, he said, if you do this, yeah, you, and he'd point to us in the front row and he'd look at me. like, And if you do this, you're not going to heaven, you're going to hell. And I swear, his look in his eyes was like the same look as like a coach who was mad at me. Right? He was fire and brimstone and he was pleading with me and it felt to me to be very prideful and assuming one thing the author here does, guys. He does not do that. The plea that he makes with these people is a loving, careful, somber plea. And you know how we know that? Let us fear. Fear. That's written in first person plural. That is an inclusive idea. So the pastor says, I refuse to let my audience think that I've separated myself from the tension of this text. I'm not the master of this text, but rather I've been mastered by this text. I have felt the power of this text. I'm pressing this text into my life. It's not this it's not this come down on it's i'm with you i'm in this i'm pressing in and do you want to know why he points back to the wilderness generation and we are going to walk into that but this author is led by the spirit and you know what he's doing he's preparing these believers because i believe in his heart He knows that a storm is brewing. See, these these new Jewish Christians, they were were losing their friends. Their friends were imploring for them to come back to Judaism, come back to the law. And if you don't, you're not my friend. Their businesses were maybe even struggling, boycotting people who were not Jews, right? We're not still sticking to the old covenant. The Judaizers were coming in the church and trying to expose these Christians and trying to get these Christians to lean back on their own strength, lean back on works. The pressure is real. There were people, just like in this church, people sitting in this church during the service, waiting until the service got done so they could pick these people apart. But more importantly, guys, Nero's coming on the scene soon. They're about to enter the wilderness and they don't know it. Maybe they have the feeling the storm is brewing, but they don't know. They don't know that soon fellow Christians will be lit on fire in gardens to light the festivities and the parties that the the emperor will throw. And the author's saying, dude, if you don't know God and you don't have faith, you're going backwards. This plea he has for them is deep, heartfelt. He is asking them to look at their faith. I think about us today, guys. I grew up in a generation that prayed a prayer. I've seen over the past five or six, seven, maybe even 10 years, a doctrine of health, wealth, and prosperity creep into our church. And I'm here to tell you, that just as the author had this text press into him, like this text has brought me some of the lowest points some of the highest points. I've pressed into this text, and my concern is that there's people who are relying on words that they said, a prayer they prayed, or maybe there's people in here who came to Jesus because of what he could give them. And all I ask you today is to carefully examine your faith And the the text coming forth here is going to really help us do that. It really isn't as easy as it sounds. You remember now, these these Jewish Christians are are in this tension between the old covenant and the new covenant. And we could we could preach 15 messages on the old covenant and the new covenant. I'm going to touch on it. The old covenant was the relationship that God made with his people. And what he required of them is that they would obey the Ten Commandments, and if they obeyed, they would be blessed if they disobeyed him, they would be punished and they would die. But in that Old Testament covenant, God provides the ability for them to use, because there's a punishment for sin. God, uses, God allows them to use animal blood to, take, to cover their sin. So what these people would do is they would take their sacrifice to the high priest and the high priest would take their sacrifice before God and then they would be good. But It was a perpetual thing and it never ended and it kept going and going and going and it was a tiresome thing. And then King Jesus comes on the scene. And King Jesus says, stop with the sacrifices. It'll be me. So Jesus comes from a perfect existence in heaven, wears the same skin and bones we are, but wears it perfectly. And you know who he does it in place of? You. So God's requirement is that the law be filled perfect the law of God, the, the um the the Ten Commandments, and there's 760 laws that they made up. Fulfill them all. And Jesus comes and he says, I am gonna fulfill them all. And you know what? He does for us. And Jesus becomes this perfect sacrificial lamb to cover our sins. So Jesus takes all of our sins, puts them on him, takes them to the cross, sheds his blood to cover the penalty for those sins. And in only a thing that God could do, raises from the dead, goes down into hell, defeats Satan, defeats Teth, raises again, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. Where you know what he does? He prays for us. He intercedes for us. He's created this beautiful channel of connectivity between us and God. whom we don't know what to say, even he's praying for us. When we're praying and we don't know what to say, it says the Holy Spirit's praying for us. So he says, come into this new covenant. Please, please, please. I do like this too. The author here, this whole message and this whole dialogue he has with his audience is one thing he doesn't you do a lot is you notice he doesn't use his own words. And I think that's why you know he's serious. He uses God's word. He uses Genesis 2. He uses Psalm 95, and he quotes God. He says, if I'm going to take this message before these people, as serious as it is, I don't want them to think it's coming from me. They need to know it's coming from God. And I just, I look at that that as just an incredible, incredible thing. And in this story, he keeps pointing us back to the wilderness generation. So I really quick want to go back to that, and I'm just going to do a quick synopsis of it, so hang with me. So we see the story of the wilderness generation in the book of Numbers. Numbers means wilderness. If I was gonna name Numbers, I'd say, Numbers the way, 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 way too long, painful, unrestful journey, right? So God, so the Israelites are in captivity in Egypt and they're just, they're slaves. It's a place of misery. And through an amazing work, a God used a flawed man named Moses and he, He does amazing miracles and he pulls them out of bondage and they go into, basically they're they're just fresh from watching a whole army of people get the Red Sea collapsed on them. And they're sitting on the other side of the, the sea and they're just, I can't even imagine, guys. They're like, I mean, can you put yourself there? An enemy, a very powerful enemy is chasing you. And you look back and they're all underwater. And you're like, oh my goodness. So they move to Mount Sinai where they get the Ten Commandments. They get instruction from God. A covenant with God is made. And everything is going okay. You know, they have their hot and cold times. They leave Sinai and they headed to Paran. Well, two or three days into that journey, Moses' brother and sister call him an idiot in front of everybody. Basically, question his leadership in front of the whole, everybody that, that Moses is leading. And if you've ever led something, if someone in there just kind of calls you out, you'd like them like say, hey, you know, come to the side here. But no, they just went right out in front of everybody. So they continue this journey. They get to Paran and they send these spies out, 12 of them. And their job is to scout the land for 40 days and figure out, like, what is this promised land? You know, basically give a report. So the 12 men go, they spend 40 days there and when they come back, when I was a kid, they said they came back and they had these grapes that were like the size of cantaloupes and there was like 5 million cows, basically like Wisconsin and, <laughs> and everything was green and, and, this, and this, all, all they saw, it was a beautiful land, it was, it, was, it, was, it was built up and there were these really tall guys there that looked pretty powerful. So all the spies actually had the same report. I actually saw the same thing. But do you know what 10 of them said? 10 of them said, Bro, if we go there, we're going to get destroyed. I don't care how much good thing is there. I don't care that God, who's taking care of us, who just closed the Red Sea and our enemies, says that we can go there and win it. We ain't going. Because if we go there, we're going to get our butts whipped. The words they actually use, and you should go back and read the story, is they say that if we go there, those big guys, they're going to devour us. Ten people. Well, there's 12 spies. So you see what's happening here? The ten spies, two spies, Joshua and Caleb go, and they see the same thing. They say, yeah, dude, the grapes are big. Everything's great. It's amazing. It's actually turnkey. Right? It's like a house. It's a turnkey, man. They got everything set up for us. We're going to walk in there. I could, you know, Josh is like, I could see my kids playing over there. You know? And you know what they say? They say, our God will devour them. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. He's behind us. We can't be stopped. But the fear mongers go to work. Start getting in the crowd and saying, "Guys, don't go there. You're a really small, dude. You're going to be the first one to die. Don't even think about it." <laughs> they start whispering and, and creating all this fear. And Aaron and, and 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 so Joshua and Caleb rip their clothes off and they're pleading again, "Please don't!" And the and the masses win. And you know what they do? They, the people say, "Give me, a, give us actually, give us a new leader." And you know where we want to go back? We want to go back to Egypt. We want to be slaves again. So give us a new leader and let's just go back to where we were slaves. You know what God does is, God in a way honors their request. And he says, okay, you're gonna wander here for 40 years and you're gonna die here. But even in this, the whole time, guys, he's providing the people manna and water and bread and he's still taking care of them. And one of the stories in here that just baffles me is they go into Moab a horde of people. And the king of Moab's like, that's a lot of people. That's not good. I think they're trying to do something. He says, Balaam, hitman, sorcerer, come here. I need you to curse these people and get them out of here. And Balaam says, okay, I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna do it using the Hebrew God. And Balaam tries to curse these people but all he can do is utter them blessing. So in the valley, in the desert, the Israelites are like up there shaking their hand at God. You, you're not taking care of us. You don't care about us. And up in the hills, and in the valley, God is blessing them. And they take no account of it. So we have 10 people who come back and obviously don't have faith, wander around in the desert, die there. Two people who have faith will take the next generation of Israelites into that land that's promised for them. And guess what? Moses doesn't even get to come. So there there is a a picture that's being painted for us, guys, that faith equals rest in the promised land. Well, some of you might in your mind be already thinking through what rest is. And well, so Tony, you're talking about this rest. Like, what is rest? Well, I want to quick give you a Christian definition, a new kingdom definition of what rest is. So rest is not just like sitting around and watching um, Red Zone after church, okay? That's not rest. Rest is not on your fishing boat. It's not on the golf course. No, it is a little bit, but that's a very imperfect version, version of it. I want to take you guys to Acts cha- or James chapter 2, 14 and 17. Let's, and we're gonna read that together. It's the next book. I'll give you a little bit to get there. James 2, 14 through 17. And this is what it says. He says, What use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and they give daily food and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? In the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. So now some of you are like, okay Tony, what is it? Is faith working? Is faith resting? You're really confusing me. (laughs) Let me explain this to you. When you put your faith in Jesus, when you trust the working that he's done on your behalf, mind, body, soul, spirit, and you live inside of the reality of what Jesus has accomplished on your behalf, you feel restful. Rest has benefits. When you know Jesus, you have peace with God. You have a satisfied soul. You have a purpose and a meaning on this earth. You have Better meaning more meaningful relationships. You have deliverance from the law of death and the bondage and the power of sin. I've experienced that. And if you have real faith, you have also. And what does the what do these things generate in your heart? Gratefulness and thankfulness. And when we're grateful and thankful, we move. And so, when you experience Jesus in his goodness, in his peace, in his mercy, and you're overwhelmed with the reality of that, you are so thankful that the only thing you want to do is move towards him and obey him and serve him. This is the working of a Christian. It is a burdenless, enjoyable work. The rest makes us grateful. Faith equals promised land, equals rest, no faith, no promised land, and no rest. Well, the wilderness, does it sound like a tough place, guys? Does it sound like a hard place to be? So the wilderness in scripture, in Isaiah, Jeremiah does a really cool job of explaining it, but it's a place of jackals. It's a place where there's creatures that'll eat you. It's a place of thorns and thistles, Jeremiah says. Isaiah, in in Isaiah 14, he says that Satan has made the world like a desert. And so, it even says that there's this creature um, in Leviticus named Azazel, which is this demon spirit that torments people out there. Like, this is just not, like, I'm sorry guys, like, this is, like, you're not going here to have a good relaxing relationship or a good relax a good relaxing vacation it's not happening this is the place where you're like scooting through you're like I got to get out of here it's tough so if i can if i can relate this to you and if i can ask you this question do you feel like you're in the wilderness do you feel like this, does this world feel like the wilderness at times to you i mean Here we sit and look at what's happening in Israel. In Lynn, Massachusetts, they just found 220 pounds of these little valentine-shaped hearts that were fentanyl. What is this place? The Bible tells us that the prince of the world is in control of this place. And that's Satan. It's a really tough place. And so here we sit today in a wilderness like situation, right? Say, Tony, I I know that, but what's where's the good news? What's what are you trying to get at? And so now I want to direct you guys to the book of Matthew. Chapter four, one through eleven. And we're going to see Jesus go into the wilderness. If you can get there. I'll give you a little bit of time here. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. And I'm going to read it. Give you a little bit. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the son of God, command these stones to be bread. But he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him along in this holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And and he said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you. And on their hands, they will lift you up so that you do not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus says, on the other hand, it is written, (laughs) you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Don't try and pervert scripture to me. I'm gonna tell you what the Bible says. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again. The devil took him along this very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory and he said to him all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him go away Satan for it is written you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold angels came and began to serve him. So let's get this picture. We've painted the picture that Jesus goes to the cross and dies for your sins, bears your wickedness, raises again and now sits at the throne. But let's go to to the start of this ministry. Jesus goes to the Jordan River, gets baptized by John the Baptist. What does he do? He crosses over the Jordan River. Crosses over the Jordan River. Who couldn't do that? the wilderness generation. And this is what I picture. Jesus, hair still wet, is looking into the wilderness. And he's saying, listen man, I know you came after Adam and Eve in a perfect situation where they had everything they could have and you got them. And I know you got Moses, I know you got my prophet and you took him down. But Jesus says, guess what? This time's gonna be different. You can see Satan rubbing his hands together. Okay, here he comes. He looks like a man to me. I got this. This is gonna be my, he's coming on my turf, okay? It's over. I got this. In Russell Moore's book, Tempted and Tried, I want you to hear this. He builds this picture of what's about to happen. Jesus went out there to meet his ancestors' foe and ours and to undo what had been done. Listen carefully. If you will ever see the kingdom of God, it will be because of what happened under that desert moon where the kingdoms approached each other, surveyed each other, and long time coming attacked each other. Jesus goes out into the wilderness and does what we could never do. And he puts the devil on notice and he says, hey buddy, this is how it's gonna go. I got this. And I'm God and man and you're gonna have no luck with me. So I think if you're here today and you have put your faith in Jesus, there's some tensions that are rising in this I think you're saying dude like tony you don't know me I'm, I'm 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 pretty bad i make a lot of mistakes i feel jesus a lot and to this i want to I want to bring up another passage in scripture and i'm just going to read it to you but it's in luke 22:31 and 32 and let me set the set the context here so King Jesus is about to go to the cross and he's about to shed his blood and his best friend, Peter, he goes up to me and says, Peter, I just want to let you know, man, you're, you're going you're to deny me three times today. He tells that to Peter. Peter's like, no, man, I, I never, never, never. And then Jesus says one of the most powerful things a Christian will ever hear. In Luke 22, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Sub your name in there. Kevin, Kevin, Satan's asked to sift you like wheat. Wheat is sifted by the shaking of it, the breaking down of it. Satan has asked to break down these men that were following Jesus. Hope, hope, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I'm praying for you. Sub your name in here. It's really powerful. So I tell you today, if you put your faith in Christ, tough in the wilderness, it's really hard. But guess what? Jesus has got you. Amen. He's going to move through you, and He's going to cause you to persevere in this life. And you have already entered a victory. You've already won because you are a representative of Jesus, and Jesus has represented you, and you are victorious. how about if you're in here and you haven't put your faith in Jesus? Can we, can we go back to Hebrews again? I want you to listen really carefully. A promise still remains of you entering his rest. The promise is still available. Worship team, if you want to start heading up, I want to ask you a question. Have you experienced the rest that we're talking about today? It's a rest that's not based on your circumstances or what's happening in your life. It transcends that. It says in any walk, in any place, in any moment of your life, you're fine because you're good with God because of Jesus. I implore you today to very carefully look at where you stand. And Christian, let me ask you this too. If you're moving with God and you're working with God and you're and God's asking you to do something different, He's, add, he's asking you to do something extra for Him. He's asking to move you in a different spot, and you just you don't want to move. I just encourage you to move. Trust Him. He's proven to be faithful, and He will be faithful again to you. So we're going to now enter into uh, into a time of communion, and every week we do this at the church at the well. And um, you can stay seated or stand, um, whatever you feel led. Um, We have um, the elements on the left and the right here. But my heart is that you guys would consider the plea that's made today. Press into your faith and see how it's moving you. See what God is doing through it. If you don't have faith, it's very simple. Put your trust in Jesus. You'll find real rest.